This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching today, and we want you to stay tuned today as we discuss what I consider to be one of the most important subjects that I've talked about in a long, long time. Saving our nation. How can we save our nation? How can the nations of the world be saved? We want to talk about that today. Stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we are continuing to offer a free Bible correspondence course. We want you to have this course that you might know just a little bit more about the course and that you might know how to receive it. Let's pause for just a moment. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible@golftail.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to be reading today from the book of Proverbs, a very short statement, a very short verse, and yet it is a passage, it is a verse that contains so much truth. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. At this very hour, the course of history is being set in America. Sin is practiced openly and for the most part without rebuke from those who are working in the political field and even from those who claim to be religious leaders. I would think if there's ever been a time that sane thinking people would want to stop to examine themselves and to prepare for the challenging days ahead, it is in the present hour. We may ask ourselves, What is the answer to all of the moral, spiritual, and ethical problems that plague America? That that are a scourge on any nation throughout the whole world? Well, I'd suggest to you that the answer to the problems of this nation or any nation of the world is not political. It is not technological. That the answer to the problems that plague our world is to be found in returning to God. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 9 and verse 17, 
the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all of the nations that forget God, nations that turn their back upon God are, are destined to doom. In Psalms chapter 32 and verse 12, again we read, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The nation that will be blessed is the nation that loves and reveres God and His Word. And Solomon said that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. It is a shame. It is a disgrace to any people. I want you to think about the past 2,000 years. And over the past 2,000 years, there are many nations that have risen to power, and now they are lost to human memory. And their God was not the God of the Bible. Yes, indeed, the answer to the problems that plague our land, that plague this planet, is to be going back to God to the God of the Bible, and to revere His Word. The thing that is really needed is the Word of God deeply ingrained in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl that lives upon the face of the earth. And there are some reasons that I suggest that to be the case. When we leave God and His Word out, it will plunge us into darkness. The prophet said, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. And there the prophet said that if people turn their backs upon God and upon His word, it will plunge them into moral and spiritual darkness. So we need to get back to the Bible, and we need to get back to God. Another reason I would suggest that is man's inability to lead himself. In the past number of years in America, we have excluded God in so many areas of life, and we're paying a terrific price for it. And any time you exclude God, you are in essence saying, I'm smarter than God, and I know more than God. I'm going to tell you, quite frankly, in our effort to be independent of God and to exclude God, we've made a miserable mess of things because the darkness is deeper than ever in America. The Bible says, O oh Lord, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. There is no individual who is capable of directing himself without God. That's the reason in the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote in the third chapter, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. We must have God to help lead us and to guide us and direct us through His Word. But let me give you yet another reason that America needs to get back to God is there's going to be a judgment. And on the day of judgment, when at last the whole creation stands before God for judgment, the standard of judgment will not be what they thought about, thought in Hollywood. It will not be what politicians said in Washington, D.C. or in Moscow. It's not going to be what preachers have said. We're going to be judged by the Word of the living God. And those of us who live in the Christian age are going to be judged by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans, the second chapter, in verse 16, Paul wrote, In the day when he shall judge the secrets of men according to my gospel. And the gospel is an unchangeable gospel. So we're going to stand before God. Folks, we need to get back to God. We need to get back to His Word. And there is no area wherein we need to return to God anymore than in the home. Someone has said, as goes the home, so goes the nation. A poet wrote, so long as we have homes where women are and children stay, so, so, we, so long as we have homes where men return at close of day, if love and loyalty and faith abide across those seals, a stricken nation can recover from its gravest ills. Yes, we need to get back to what the Bible says about home. As John Howard Payne said, to be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. And it is in ho at the home level that we learn the greatest lessons of life. We need to get back to the Bible. You know, in the very beginning of time, when God was in the process of creation, the first institution that God created was not an orphanage. It was not some Christian school. It was not the, the government. It was not even the church. But the first institution that God created was the family, the home. In Genesis, the second chapter in verse 7, the Bible says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that first man became a living soul. But then God in Genesis 2.18 saw that it was not good for him to be without a companion. And God surveyed all of the things that He had made, and there was not a com anything that God had created, no, no living creature, that would be a suitable companion for the man. So God took a rib from the side of man. And out of that rib, God made the woman. And when the woman was presented to the man, he said in Genesis chapter 2, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be cleave unto his wife, that is, be joined to his wife. And those two will be one flesh. They become one flesh in the sight of God Almighty. Someone has aptly said that marriages are made in heaven. The maintenance work 
is carried on here on this earth. Let me ask a serious question. Inasmuch as the home is the backbone of civilization, why did God create the home? What was His purpose behind it all? Well, first of all, as we have already noted, it was to prevent loneliness. It was not good for the man to be alone. And God created for Adam a suitable companion. And in my mind, Eve must have been the most beautiful woman that has ever lived on the face of this earth. She was a perfect woman. And then God also ordained this relationship for the purpose of preventing sin. In 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter and verse 2, the Bible there reads like this, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, every, every woman her own husband. There's to be one husband, one wife for life. In Matthew 19 and 6, Jesus said, What God had joined together, let not man put asunder. And no man has a right to put asunder that which God joined together. One man, one woman for life. Now we live in a time where people want to change all of that. But people, this is God's plan. God's design for the family. One man, one woman, and it's to be for life. But God also ordained this relationship and created the home for the purpose of bringing children into the world. In Genesis chapter 9 and 1, the Lord said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And it is in the framework of the home that children are to be brought into the world. I think it's an unfortunate thing and a disadvantage to the children when they are born out of wedlock. But so many are being born in that fashion today. But folks, God's design is that children be, be, be brought into the world in a home, in a family, where there is a husband, where there's a wife, where there's a father, and where there is a mother. That is God's design. That's not my design. That's not the design of a, of a group of people who've gotten together somewhere here on the earth. But that directive comes from God Himself. And then the home is to be permanent in its duration. How long will you stay married? I, I read of a place in Florida where they had wedding rings for rent. I wonder how long the plan to stay married. Not very long, obviously. Jesus said what God has joined together... Let not man put asunder. And so we need to marry for life. In Romans, the seventh chapter, Paul said, A woman is bound by the law to her husband. How long is she bound to her husband? So long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. And so we are bound together to life for life. When you stand before some minister or some other person who may be duly authorized to perform a marriage ceremony, and you pledge by the laws of heaven and earth to be faithful, to be true to one another, so long as you both shall live, we need to keep that vow. That is a vow that we make not only in the presence of people, 
We make that vow, that promise in the presence of God Almighty, in the presence of, of the Godhead. It is a serious thing to be married. And we need to realize it is a lifetime commitment. But then God ordained this relationship as a place of peace. And some homes are not places of peace. They, they might more nearly resemble a, a brawl at a baseball game. Have you ever been watching a baseball game on television? And then all of a sudden the teams get together and some, maybe the, the pitcher hits the, uh, uh, the, the man who is batting and, and, and it, it makes him irritated. He starts running after the pitcher and then the, uh, both benches are then emptied and they're out there brawling all over the field. Some homes are like that. They're nothing but places to go and fuss and fight and, and just have quarrels all the time. But that's not God's plan for the home. God's plan is that this would be one place you could find some peace. If there's one place in all of the world that a man should be able to go at the end of the day and find some peace and quiet and happiness and a place of love, it ought to be at home. And if there's one place where a woman, a wife, should be able to find some tranquility in her life and some appreciation in her life, it ought to be at home. We've got to make it a place of peace. You know, the Bible says to follow after things that make for peace. Well, what are some of the things that make for peace? Let me give you some Bible verses that I believe will help us to have peace at home. Number one is Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another. We need to treat each with kindness in the home. Sometimes a husband may be kinder to some woman with whom he works than he is to his own wife. And a woman may be kinder to some man that she knows somewhere than she is to her own husband. Well, if you begin to do that, I want you to know that's a danger signal right there. You'd better be careful. You're about to slip. But we need to be kind one to another. A woman went to the lifeless body of her husband as he lay in his coffin. And everyone knew how she had treated him all the days of his life. And it had not been a time of peace. And she put a lone rose in his hand. And someone remarked, that's the kindest thing she ever did for him. Isn't that sad? God wants this to be a place of peace, and we've got to be kind to one another. Now, a second thing that will help us to have peace is to learn to forgive one another. Let me go back to Ephesians 4 again, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We need to be people who are willing to forgive. Jesus said, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. We want God to forgive us, and we ought to forgive just as God has forgiven us. We need to be willing to forgive. We're not going to be perfect in the home, and sometimes someone in the home may do something for which they need forgiveness, and they need to, to uh, ask for forgiveness. And when forgiveness is sought, then we ought to be willing to forgive. I am convinced that marriages could be saved today 
if we would develop a forgiving heart in the home. Another principle that's found in the Bible that will help to save the homes of America is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do you also unto them. If a husband would treat his wife just like he would want her to treat him, it'll go a long way to having peace in the home. If we would treat our children just like we would want to be treated if we were the children, it will go a long way toward developing wholesome children. So be willing to treat others as you would want to be treated. And then yet another principle is found in the uh, uh, fifth chapter of James in verse 16. And our homes need to be a place of prayer. Confess your faults one to another. Well, now there's a good point. We need to be willing to admit when we're wrong. And when we acknowledge our faults one to another, then we need to sit down and we need to pray together. Because the, that passage says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so to make our homes a place of peace, we need to make it a place of confession of sin and of prayer. But then we also need to be a person known for our attitude toward Jesus. How do you really feel about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I've often thought that if I would want my children and my grandchildren to love Jesus, they surely must see that I love Jesus, that I love Jesus more than I love my own family, than my own life. Oh, how I love Jesus. Yes, I believe we save America. We save our nation. We, we got to get back to, we must get back to God. We must get back to His Word. And we need to make the home a place of piety, a place where God is at the core of that home. In the 10th chapter of Acts, we read about a man by the name of Cornelius. He was a Gentile. And at this particular point in the first part of chapter 10, he is not a Christian. And it is said of Cornelius that he was a centurion, meaning that he was a soldier, that he was responsible for 100 men. And, and that he was a man who feared God with all of his house. Think about that. Cornelius would, would put to shame men, some men in the church today. He feared God with all of his house. May we have men like Cornelius today who are God-fearing men. And God is at the heart and the core of their homes. Men like Joshua who said... Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served there were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Can you say that today that as for you and your house, you're going to serve the Lord? That God is found in your home? If you're concerned about your children... If you're concerned about your marriage, you need to get down on your knees and ask God to help you and to, to guide you and to lead you into becoming everything that you ought to be as a husband, everything that you ought to be as a wife, as a parent. 
Oh, I wish I had the ability to impress upon every father and every mother that's watching this telecast at this point how important it is to instill the Word of God in your children. Sometimes I think that we're just playing religion, that we're just playing church. Reminds me of a story I read a number of years ago. A, a mother caught her children, uh, her children and the neighbor's children sitting on the front steps, and they had found some cigarette butts, and they were smoking those cigarettes. And she said, what are you children doing? Well, they said, we've been playing church. Johnny led the singing, and Sam led the prayer, and Bill preached the sermon, and now we're out on the first step smoking. We're playing church. My friends, we need to stop playing church. We need to stop playing games with God, and we need to get serious with God. We're talking about survival. The survival of your home. The survival of, the, of our republic. The survival of our nation. Remember what Solomon said? It takes righteousness to exalt a nation. But it is sin that is a shame. It is a reproach to any people. We need to start meaning business with God. I want to ask you, are you leading your home to heaven? Are you? If your children were to follow in your footsteps right now for the rest of their lives, would those footsteps take them to heaven? You say, well, Brother Lambert, I, I, I've been thinking about uh, doing it someday. Well, would you write that down when that someday is going to be? Well, you say, I really don't know. Well, usually when a person tells me something like that, that means they don't ever intend to make a decision. I am urging you, I am urging you, I am pleading with you to make a decision and to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you do like, like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? After Peter came to his house, he preached the gospel to him. He preached a sermon about the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead. And Cornelius and his household as believers in Jesus Christ were then baptized, Acts 10, 47 and 48. They did that because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Friends, the gospel is that simple. It's just as simple as one, two, three. It's simple as A, B, C. He that believeth one is baptized two shall be saved, number three. Jesus did not say he that believeth and is saved shall be baptized. No, no, no. That's reversing his order. It's he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And if you as a penitent confessing believer would be baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ, and you began to serve God in your family, pray together, read the Bible together, you'll go a long way to not only saving your home, but helping save America. I want to thank you for watching today. May God bless you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, 
write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible. Hey,